Hey, it's Otis here. Before we get to the bedtime reading, I wanted to let you know that I just launched a brand new show. It's called The Daily Book Club, a daytime companion to Sleepy, where you hear entire books one chapter at a time, one day at a time. Simple as that. So if Sleepy is how you uh, wind down your day, The Daily Book Club is a great way to start your day. There's new episodes daily. Uh, I read in a slightly peppier voice so that you can get really lost in these amazing stories that have stood the test of time. Or, just like Sleepy, you can sit back and relax and zone out to a good book. The first book we'll be reading is The Enchanted April by Elizabeth Von Arnhem. Story is, in the 1920s, four women unfulfilled with life take a chance and abscond to a dreamy medieval Italian castle. It's a story dripping with wisteria, the beauty of solitude, and an unlikely pursuit of joy in Portofino, Italy. I think that this is a perfect story for the season, and you can hear it now. Find The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. This show has been a long time coming, and I'm so excited to bring you even more stories. So go subscribe to The Daily Book Club to hear what happens next. Thanks. This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well, and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high-quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, they have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included. And there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. A podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep. And this is a midweek bedtime story for you. 
the first of many. I've been wanting to bring you more bedtime stories for a long time. Uh, so as of now, that's what we'll be doing on Sleepy. Every Wednesday will be short story Wednesdays. Uh, little bedtime stories for the middle of your week to help you snooze. Some of these will be real short. Some might be a little bit longer, but the stories with a beginning and end. Just a little something for the middle of your week. Our regular longer episodes will keep posting every Sunday, as always. And those will be the episodes that have longer intros where I get to thank all of our Patreon members. Um, and these Wednesday episodes will just be more wonderful little stories for you to go to sleep to. And as always, for an ad-free version of Sleepy for two bucks a month, um, just go to patreon.com slash sleepyradio or click the blue Sleepy logo in the banner on the top of this Spotify page. As always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski and the cover art for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. I really hope you love these shorter stories. I've got lots and lots of great ones lined up for you this year. And to start, I'll be reading this old Japanese fairy tale called The Bamboo Cutter and the Moonchild. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes and let me read to you. The Bamboo Cutter and the Moon Child from Japanese Fairy Tales. Long, long ago, there lived an old bamboo woodcutter. He was very poor and sad also, for no child had heaven sent to cheer his old age. And in his heart, there was no hope of rest from work till he died and was laid in the quiet grave. Every morning, he went forth into the woods and hills wherever the bamboo reared its lithe green plumes against the sky. When he had made his choice, he would cut down these feathers of the forest, and splitting them lengthwise or cutting them into joints, would carry the bamboo wood home and make it into various articles for the household, and he and his wife gained a small livelihood by selling them. One morning, as usual, he had gone out to his work, and having found a nice clump of bamboos, had set to work to cut some down. Suddenly the green grove of bamboos was flooded with a bright, soft light, as if the full moon had risen over the spot. Looking round in astonishment, he saw the brilliance was streaming from one bamboo. The old man, full of wonder, dropped his axe and went towards the light. On nearer approach, he saw that this soft splendor came from a hollow in the green bamboo stem and still more wonderful to behold, in the midst of the brilliance stood a tiny human being, only three inches in height, and exquisitely beautiful in appearance. 
you must be sent to be my child, for I find you here among the bamboos where lies my daily work, said the old man. And taking the little creature in his hand, he took it home to his wife to bring up. The tiny girl was so exceedingly beautiful and so small that the old woman put her into a basket to safeguard her from the least possibility of her being hurt in any way. The old couple were now very happy, for it had been a lifelong regret that they had no children of their own, and with joy they now expended all the love of their old age on the little child who had come to them in so marvelous a manner. From this time on, the old man often found gold in the notches of the bamboo where he hewed them down and cut them up, not only gold but precious stones also, so that by degrees he became rich. He built himself a fine house and was no longer known as the poor bamboo woodcutter, but as a wealthy man. Three months passed quickly away, and in that time, the bamboo child had, wonderful to say, become a full-grown girl. So her foster parents did up her hair and dressed her in beautiful kimonos. She was of such wondrous beauty that they placed her behind the screens like a princess and allowed no one to see her, waiting upon her themselves. It seemed as if she were made of light, for the house was filled with a soft shining so that even in the dark of the night, it was like daytime. Her presence seemed to have a benign influence on those there. Whenever the old man felt sad, he had only to look upon his foster daughter and his sorrow vanished, and he became as happy as when he was a youth. At last the day came for the naming of their newfound child. So the old couple called in a celebrated name giver, and he gave her the name of Princess Moonlight, because her body gave forth so much soft, bright light that she might have been a daughter of the moon god. For three days, the festival was kept up with song and dance and music. All the friends and relations of the old couple were present, and great was their enjoyment of the festivities held to celebrate the naming of Princess Moonlight. Everyone who saw her declared that there never had been seen anyone so lovely. All the beauties throughout the length and breadth of the land would grow pale beside her, so they said. The fame of the princess's loveliness spread far and wide, and many were the suitors who desired to win her hand, or even so much as to see her. Suitors from far and near posted themselves outside the house, and made little holes in the fence in the hope of catching a glimpse of the princess as she went from one room to the other along the veranda. They stayed there day and night, sacrificing even their sleep for a chance of seeing her, but all in vain. Then they approached the house and tried to speak to the old man and his wife or some of the servants, but not even this was granted to them. Still, in spite of all this disappointment, they stayed on day after day and night after night and counted it as nothing. So great was their desire to see the princess. 
Alas, however, most of the men, seeing how hopeless their quest was, lost heart and hope both, and returned to their homes. All except five knights, whose ardor and determination, instead of waning, seemed to wax greater with obstacles. These five men even went without their meals and took snatches of whatever they could get brought to them so that they might always stand outside the dwelling. They stood there in all weathers, in sunshine and in rain. Sometimes they wrote letters to the princess, but no answer was vouchsafed to them. Then when the letters failed to draw any reply, they wrote poems to telling her of the hopeless love which kept them from sleep, from food, from rest, and even from their homes. Still, Princess Moonlight gave no sign of having received their verses. In this hopeless state, the winter passed. The snow and frost and the cold winds gradually gave place to the gentle warmth of spring. Then the summer came, and the sun burned white and scorching in the heavens above and on earth beneath, and still these faithful nights kept watch and waited. At the end of these long months they called out to the old bamboo cutter and treated him to have some mercy upon them and to show them the princess. But he answered only that as he was not her real father, he could not insist on her obeying him against her wishes. The five knights on receiving this stern answer returned to their several homes and pondered over the best means of touching the proud princess's heart, even so much as to grant them a hearing. They took their rosaries in hand and knelt before their household shrines and burned the precious incense, praying to Buddha and to give them their heart's desire. Thus several days passed, but even so, they could not rest in their homes. So again they set out for the bamboo cutter's house. This time the old man came out to see them, and they asked him to let them know if it was the princess's resolution never to see any man whatsoever, and they implored him to speak for them and to tell her the greatness of their love and how long they had waited through the cold of winter and the heat of summer sleepless and roofless through all weathers, without food and without rest, in the ardent hope of winning her. And they were willing to consider this long vigil as pleasure if she would give them but one chance of pleading their cause with her. The old man lent a willing ear to their tale of love, for in his inmost heart he felt sorry for these faithful suitors and would have liked to see his lovely foster daughter married to one of them. So he went into Princess Moonlight and said reverently, Although you have always seemed to me to be a heavenly being, yet I have the trouble of bringing you up as my own child, and you have been glad of the protection of my roof. Will you refuse to do as I wish? Then Princess Moonlight replied that there was nothing she would not do for him, that she honored and loved him as her own father, and that as for herself, she could not remember the time before she came to earth. The old man listened with great joy as she spoke these dutiful words, 
Then he told her how anxious he was to see her safely and happily married before he died. I am an old man, over 70 years of age, and my end may come any time now. It is necessary and right that you should see these five suitors and choose one of them. Oh, why, said the princess in distress, must I do this? I have no wish to marry now. I found you, answered the old man. Many years ago, when you were a little creature three inches high in the midst of the great white light, the light streamed from the bamboo in which you were hid and led me to you. So I have always thought that you were more than mortal woman. While I am alive, it is right for you to remain as you are if you wish to do so. But some day I shall cease to be, and who will take care of you then? Therefore I pray you meet these five brave men one at a time, and make up your mind to marry one of them. Then the princess answered that she felt sure that she was not as beautiful as perhaps report made her out to be, and that even if she consented to marry any one of them, not really knowing her before, his heart might change afterwards. So as she did not feel sure of them, even though her father told her they were worthy knights, she did not feel it wise to see them. All you say is very reasonable, said the old man, but what kind of men will you consent to see? I do not call these five men who waited on you for months lighthearted. They have stood outside this house through the winter and the summer, often denying themselves food and sleep so that they may see you. What more can you demand? Then Princess Moonlight said she must make further trial of their love before she would grant their request to interview her. The five warriors were to prove their love by each bringing her from distant countries something that she desired to possess. That same evening, the suitors arrived and began to play their flutes in turn and to sing their self-composed songs telling of their great and tireless love. The bamboo cutter went out to them and offered them his sympathy for all they had endured and all the patience they had shown in their desire to win his foster daughter. Then he gave them her message that she would consent to marry whosoever was successful in bringing her what she wanted. This was to test them. The five all accepted the trial and thought it an excellent plan for it would prevent jealousy between them. Princess Moonlight then sent word to the first knight that she requested him to bring her the stone bowl which had belonged to the Buddha in India. The second knight was asked to go to the mountain of Harai, said to be situated in the eastern sea, and to bring her a branch of the wonderful tree that grew on its summit. The roots of this tree were silver, the trunk of gold, and the branches bore as fruit white jewels. The third knight was told to go to China and search for the fire rat and to bring her its skin. The fourth knight was told to search for the dragon that carried on its head the stone radiating five colors and to bring the stone to her. The fifth knight was to find the swallow which carried a shell in its stomach and bring the shell to her.
The old man thought these very hard tasks and hesitated to carry the messages. But the princess would make no other conditions. So her commands were issued word for word to the five men who, when they heard what was required of them, were all disheartened and disgusted at what seemed to them the impossibility of the task given them and returned to their own homes in despair. But after a time, when they thought of the princess, the love in their hearts revived for her, and they resolved to make an attempt to get what she desired of them. The first knight sent word to the princess that he was starting out that day on the quest of Buddha's bowl, and he hoped soon to bring it to her. But he had not the courage to go all the way to India, for in those days traveling was very difficult and full of danger. So he went to one of the temples in Kyoto and took a stone bowl from the altar there, paying the priest a large sum of money for it. He then wrapped in a cloth of gold and, waiting quietly for three years, returned and carried it to the old man. Princess Moonlight wondered that the knight should have returned so soon. She took the bowl from its gold wrapping expecting it to make the room full of light, but it did not shine at all, so she knew that it was a sham thing and not the true bowl of Buddha. She returned it at once and refused to see him. The knight threw the bowl away and returned to his home in despair. He gave up now all hopes of ever winning the princess. The second knight told his parents that he needed change of air for his health for he was ashamed to tell them that love for the princess Moonlight was the real cause of his leaving them. He then left his home, at the same time sending word to the princess that he was setting out for Mount Harai in the hope of getting her a branch of the golden silver tree which she so much wished to have. He only allowed his servants to accompany him halfway and then sent them back. He reached the seashore, and embarked on a small ship, and after sailing away for three days he landed and employed several carpenters to build him a house contrived in such a way that no one could get access to it. He then shut himself up with six skilled jewelers, and endeavored to make such a gold and silver branch as he thought would satisfy the princess as having come from the wonderful tree growing on Mount Harai. Everyone whom he had asked declared that Mount Harai belonged to the land of fable and not to fact. When the branch was finished, he took his journey home and tried to make himself look as if he were weary and worn out with travel. He put the jeweled branch into the lacquer box and carried it to the bamboo cutter, begging him to present it to the princess. The old man was quite deceived by the travel-stained appearance of the knight and thought that he had only just returned from his long journey with the branch. So he tried to persuade the princess to consent to see the man, but she remained silent and looked very sad. The old man began to take out the branch and praised it as a wonderful treasure to be found nowhere in the whole land. Then he spoke of the knight how handsome and how brave he was to have undertaken a journey to so remote a place as the Mount of Arai. Princess Moonlight took the branch in her hand and looked at it carefully. 
She then told her foster parent that she knew it was impossible for the man to have obtained a branch from the gold and silver tree growing on Mount Horai so quickly or so easily, and she was sorry to say she believed it artificial. The old man then went out to the expectant knife, who had now approached the house, and asked where he had found the branch. Then the man did not scruple to make up a long story. Two years ago, I took a ship and started in search of Mount Horai. After going before the wind for some time, I reached the far eastern sea. Then a great storm arose and I was tossed about for many days, losing all count of the points of the compass, and finally we were blown ashore on an unknown island. Here I found the place inhabited by demons who at one time threatened to kill and eat me. However, I managed to make friends with these horrible creatures, and they helped me and my sailors to repair the boat, and I set sail again. Our food gave out, and we suffered much from sickness on board. At last, on the 500th day from the day of starting, I saw far off on the horizon what looked like the peak of a mountain. On nearer approach, this proved to be an island in the center of which rose a high mountain. I landed, and after wandering for about two or three days, I saw a shining being coming towards me on the beach, holding in his hands a golden bowl. I went up to him and asked him if I had, by good chance, found the Isle of Mount Horai, and he answered, Yes, this is Mount Horai. With much difficulty, I climbed to the summit, here stood the golden tree growing with silver roots in the ground. The wonders of that strange land are many, and if I began to tell you about them, I could never stop. In spite of my wish to stay here long, on breaking off the branch, I hurried back. With utmost speed, it has taken me four hundred days to get back, and as you see, my clothes are still damp from exposure on the long sea voyage. I have not even waited to change my raiment, so anxious I was to bring the branch to the princess quickly. Just at this moment, the six jewelers, who had been employed on the making of the branch, but not yet paid by the knight, arrived at the house and sent in a petition to the princess to be paid for their labor. They said that they had worked for over a thousand days, making the branch of gold, with its silver twigs and its jeweled fruit that was now presented to her by the knight, but as yet, they had received nothing in payment. So this knight's deception was thus found out, and the princess, glad of an escape from one more inopportune suitor, was only too pleased to send back the branch. She called in the workmen and had them paid liberally, and they went away happy. But on the way home, they were overtaken by the disappointed man who beat them till they were nearly dead for letting out the secret, and they barely escaped with their lives. The knight then returned home, raging in his heart, then in despair of ever winning the princess, gave up society and retired to a solitary life among the mountains. Now the third knight had a friend in China, so he wrote to him to get the skin of the fire rat, the virtue of any part of this animal was that no fire could harm it. 
He promised his friend any amount of money he'd like to ask, if only he could get him the desired article. As soon as the news came that the ship on which his friend had sailed home had come into port, he rode seven days on horseback to meet him. He handed his friend a large sum of money and received the fire rat skin. When he reached home, he put it carefully in a box and sent it in to the princess while he waited outside for her answer. The bamboo cutter took the box from the night and, as usual, carried it into her and tried to coax her to see the night at once. But Princess Moonlight refused, saying that she must first put the skin to test by putting it into the fire. If it were the real thing, it would not burn. So she took off the cape wrapper and opened the box, and then she threw the skin into the fire. The skin crackled and burnt up at once, and the princess knew that this man also had not fulfilled his word. So the third night failed also. Now the fourth night was no more enterprising than the rest. Instead of starting out on the quest of the dragon bearing on its head the five-color radiating jewel, he called all his servants together and gave them the order to seek for it far and wide in Japan and in China, and he strictly forbade any of them to return till they had found it. His numerous retainers and servants started out in different directions, with no intention, however, of obeying what they considered an impossible order. They simply took a holiday, went to pleasant country places together, and grumbled at their master's unreasonableness. The knight, meanwhile, thinking that his retainers could not fail to find the jewel, repaired to his house and fitted it up beautifully for the reception of the princess. He felt so sure of winning her. One year passed in the weary waiting, and still his men did not return with the dragon jewel. The knight became desperate. He could wait no longer. So taking with him only two men, he hired a ship and commanded the captain to go in search of the dragon. The captain and the sailors refused to undertake what they said was an absurd search, but the knight compelled them at last to put out to sea. When they had been a few days out, they encountered a great storm which lasted so long that, by the time its fury abated, the knight had determined to give up on the hunt of the dragon. They were at last blown on shore, for navigation was primitive in those days. For now, with his travels and anxiety, the fourth suitor gave himself up to rest. He had caught a very heavy cold, and had to go to bed with a swollen face. The governor of the place, hearing of his plight, sent messengers with a letter inviting him to his house. While he was there thinking over all his troubles, his love for his princess turned to anger, and he blamed her for all the hardships he had undergone. He had thought that it was quite probable she wished to kill him, so that she might be rid of him, and in order to carry out her wish, had sent him upon this impossible quest. At this point, all the servants he had sent out to find the jewel came to see him, and were surprised to find praise instead of displeasure awaiting them. Their master told them that he was heartily sick of adventure, and said that he never intended to go near the princess's house again in the future. Like all the rest, 
The fifth knight failed in his quest. He could not find the swallow shell. By this time, the fame of Princess Moonlight's beauty had reached the ears of the emperor, and he sent one of his court ladies to see if she were really as lovely as reports said. If so, he would summon her to the palace and make her one of the ladies-in-waiting. When the court lady arrived, in spite of her father's entreaties, Princess Moonlight refused to see her. The imperial messenger insisted, saying it was the emperor's order. Then Princess Moonlight told the man that if she was forced to go to the palace in obedience to the emperor's order, she would vanish from the earth. When the emperor was told of her persistence in refusing to obey his summons, and that if pressed to obey, she would disappear altogether from sight, he determined to go and see her. So he planned to go on a hunting excursion in the neighborhood of the bamboo cutter's house and see the princess himself. He sent word to the old man of his intention, and he received consent to the scheme. The next day, the emperor set out with his retinue, which he soon managed outright. He found the bamboo cutter's house and dismounted. He then entered the house and went straight to where the princess was sitting with her attendant maidens. Never had he seen anyone so wonderfully beautiful, and he could not but look at her, for she was more lovely than any human being as she shone in her own soft radiance. When Princess Moonlight became aware that a stranger was looking at her, she tried to escape from the room, but the emperor caught her and begged her to listen to what he had to say. Her only answer was to hide her face in her sleeves. The emperor fell deeply in love with her and begged her to come to the court, where he would give her a position of honor and everything she could wish for. He was about to send for one of the imperial palanquins to take her back with him at once, saying that her grace and beauty should adorn a court and not be hidden in a bamboo cutter's cottage. But the princess stopped him. She said that she were ever forced to go to the palace, she would turn at once into a shadow, and even as she spoke, she began to lose her form. Her figure faded from his sight while he looked. The emperor then promised to leave her free, if only she would resume her former shape, which she did. It was now time for him to return, for his retinue would be wondering what had happened to their royal master when they missed him for so long. So he bade her goodbye and left the house with a sad heart. Princess Moonlight was for him the most beautiful woman in the world. All others were dark beside her, and he thought of her night and day. His majesty now spent much of his time in writing poems, telling her of his love and devotion, and sent them to her. And though she refused to see him again, she answered with many verses of her own composing, which told him gently and kindly that she could never marry anyone on this earth. These little songs always gave him pleasure. At this time, her foster parents noticed that night after night, the princess would sit on her balcony and gaze for hours at the moon in the spirit of the deepest dejection, ending always in a burst of tears. 
One night the old man found her thus weeping, as if her heart were broken, and he besought her to tell him the reason of her sorrow. With many tears she told him that he had guessed rightly when he supposed her not to belong to this world, that she had in truth come from the moon, and that her time on earth would soon be over. On the fifteenth day of that very month of August, her friends from the moon would come to fetch her, and she would have to return. Her parents were both there, but having spent a lifetime on earth, she had forgotten them and also the moon world to which she belonged. It made her weep, she said, to think of leaving her kind foster parents and the home where she had been happy for so long. When her attendants heard this, they were very sad and could not eat or drink for sadness at the thought of the princess was so soon to leave them. The emperor, as soon as the news was carried to him, sent messengers to the house to find out if the report were true or not. The old bamboo cutter went out to meet the imperial messengers. The last few days of sorrow had told upon the old man. He had aged greatly and looked much more in his seventy years. Weeping bitterly, he told them that the report was only too true, but he intended, however, to make prisoners of the envoys from the moon and to do all he could to prevent the princess from being carried back. The man returned and told his majesty all that had passed. On the fifteenth day of that month, the emperor sent a guard of two thousand warriors to watch the house. One thousand stationed themselves on the roof. Another thousand kept watch all around the entrances of the house. All were trained archers, with bows and arrows. The bamboo cutter and his wife hid Princess Moonlight in an inner room. The old man gave orders that no one was to sleep that night. All in the house were to keep a strict watch and to be ready to protect the princess. With these precautions and the help of the emperor's men-at-arms, he hoped to withstand the moon messengers. But the princess told him that all these measures to keep her would be useless and that when her people came for her, nothing whatever would prevent her from carrying out their purpose. Even the emperor's men would be powerless. Then she added, with tears, that she was very, very sorry to leave him and his wife, whom she had learned to love as her parents, that if she could do as she liked, she would stay with them in their old age, and try to make some return for all the love and kindness they had showered upon her during her earthly life. The night wore on. The yellow harvest moon rose high in the heavens, flooding the world asleep with her golden light. Silence reigned over the pine and the bamboo forests, and on the roof where the thousand men-at-arms waited. Then the night grew gray towards the dawn, and all hoped that the danger was over, that Princess Moonlight would not have to leave them after all. Then suddenly the watchers saw a cloud form round the moon, and while they looked this cloud began to roll earthwards. Nearer and nearer it came, and everyone saw with dismay that its course lay towards the house. In a short time the sky was entirely obscured, till at last the cloud lay over the dwelling, only ten feet off the ground. 
In the midst of the cloud there stood a flying chariot, and in the chariot a band of luminous beings. One amongst them who looked like a king, appeared to be the chief, stepped out of the chariot, and poised in the air, called to the old man to come out. The time has come, he said, for Princess Moonlight to return to the moon from whence she came. She committed a grave fault, and as a punishment she was sent down to live here for a time. We know what good care you have taken of the princess, and we have rewarded you for this, and have sent you wealth and prosperity. We put the gold in the bamboos for you to find. I have brought up this princess for twenty years, and never once has she done a wrong thing. Therefore the lady you are seeking cannot be this one, said the old man. I pray you to look elsewhere. Then the messenger called aloud, saying, Princess Moonlight, come out from this lowly dwelling. Rest not here another moment. At these words, the screens of the princess's room slid open of their own accord, revealing the princess shining in her own radiance, bright and wonderful and full of beauty. The messenger led her forth and placed her in the chariot. She looked back and saw with pity the deep sorrow of the old man. She spoke to him many comforting words and told him that it was not her will to leave him and that he must always think of her when looking at the moon. The bamboo cutter implored to be allowed to accompany her, but this was not allowed. The princess took off her embroidered outer garment and gave it to him as a keepsake. One of the moon beings in the chariot held a wonderful coat of wings. Another had a file full of the elixir of life which was given to the princess to drink. She swallowed a little and was about to give the rest to the old man, but she was prevented from doing so. The robe of wings was about to be put upon her shoulders, but she said, Wait a little. I must not forget my good friend, the emperor. I must write him once more to say goodbye while still in this human form. In spite of the impatience of the messengers and charioteers, she kept them waiting while she wrote. She placed a file of the elixir of life with the letter, and, giving them to the old man, she asked him to deliver them to the emperor. Then the chariot began to roll heavenwards towards the moon, and as they all gazed with tearful eyes at the receding princess, the dawn broke, and in the rosy light of day the moon chariot and all in it were lost amongst the fleecy clouds that were now wafted across the sky on the wings of the morning wind. Princess Moonlight's letter was carried to the palace. His majesty was afraid to touch the elixir of life, so he sent it with the letter to the top of the most sacred mountain in the land, Mount Fuji, and there the royal emissaries burnt it on the summit at sunrise. So to this day, people say that there is smoke to be seen rising from the top of Mount Fuji to the clouds. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.